Whether you operate one forklift or thousands, one location or hundreds, the new My Toyota customer portal can help you optimize your operation and material handling equipment. This one-stop, free-to-use platform is designed to help you take control of your information and make smarter decisions, all at the touch of a button. Register and access your data today at my.toyotaforklift.com. That's my.toyotaforklift.com. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hey, it's Kevin Lawton with the New Warehouse Podcast, bringing you a new episode today. And on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by Ricky Hooker. He is the general manager at Global E-Commerce Experts, and we are going to talk about e-commerce, and we're going to talk about e-commerce expansion internationally, and we're going to find out a little bit about global e-commerce experts as well, but we're going to dive into kind of that expansion into the European market or European market into a United States market and, and vice versa, and overall expansion internationally and, and how brands can go about that and also like common pitfalls around that as well. So Ricky, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you. I'm my, uh, my voice is going to hold for the whole podcast. I promise. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> okay, no problem. Good to have you on, and uh, and I see you're uh, you're at a lake there. It looks like uh, in the well, background. I'd like to say that <laughs> I was uh, on the edge of the shores of Banff in Banff, but I'm not. I I am in the United Kingdom, which is nothing like the look of what's going on behind me. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's a it's, it's a nice place to pose, of course, isn't it? Definitely, definitely great background there and, and definitely happy to happy to get you on the show and, and talk about this. I think it's a very interesting thing and, and something that's increasingly becoming more attainable, I guess you could say, and, and more accessible too, but it needs to be properly navigated. So so before we kind of dive into this whole topic discussion, why don't you kind of just give us a, a brief overview of global e-commerce experts and, and what it is that you guys do? Global e-commerce experts expands e-commerce businesses internationally, fundamentally. And we do that through compliance, so making them ready to sell in those markets, mm-hmm. shipping and logistics, and then a function of growth through omni-channel, moving the, that business on to new marketplaces in new countries. So we, have, we handle the whole thing end-to-end in-house using our own facilities, and we're able to take a business that's selling in, for instance, on Amazon in the U.S., we're now able to recreate that, that business in front of uh, half a billion people in, uh, in Europe, for instance, as a good example of one route of travel. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's such a, such a good thing. And I'm happy we're going to dive into this topic with, with you guys, because it's your, your, your bread and butter basically is, is doing this kind of global expansion and, and getting brands to, to be able to figure out those, those channels to go to. And, and also, like you said, I, I think on the compliance side too, I mean, it's very important as well. So, so before we kind of get into that more detail, I mean, why don't you tell us, I guess, from your perspective and what you guys are seeing at global e-commerce experts, I, I mean, what does the e-commerce space look like? like right now if we look at it from a, a global perspective how would you kind of break down the e-commerce market at this time there's a real mix around the world 
there's certainly a lot of excitement for the future, but that's not necessarily manifesting itself right immediately. And I think that mm. when we take, for instance, American e-commerce sellers that may well be uh, perhaps uh, a little bit more hesitant to spend money at the moment in terms of certainly from a growth perspective, I do think there's a real appetite for exporting their way out of any trade deficit that might be going on at the minute at home. Mm. We know that they're, you know, from a Chinese market perspective, for instance, they're racing down into quite a deep recession that we haven't seen in the UK or in Europe. And that has affected some of those organizations' desire to expand. You know, it's interesting that, that you know, the name is on the door for us. We're looking at the e-commerce market truly internationally. Mm. So we, we're handling sellers from the United States, from South America, from the Middle East, from Europe, of course, the United Kingdom, from Australia, uh, and Pan-Asia. So we, there's always one element that is on the up and one perhaps that's a little bit more static at the time. I think there's there's been a whole lot of levelling out sort of post a really messy period after COVID in different countries around the world where there was peaks and there was troughs and there was super spikes. Mm. And I think there's a lot of levelling out this year. So we're seeing some real excitement for 2024, early 2024, about how organisations are now really ready to get going with their expansion, even if they've been talking about it beforehand. So, frankly, I think the future looks bright for expansion because those businesses, some of those businesses will, will have great success selling abroad. And I also think that that's driven by perhaps some slowing down of growth mm. in the home country. So these things come, you know, with you know, with two different angles. In the home country, it might be slowing down a little bit. Not necessarily static for some, yeah. and there's definitely some some success stories. But certainly, yeah, I, I think 2024 Q1 is the uh, is, is is we've got a lot of a lot of excitement for that period. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting. You know, you talk, you talk about like a market maybe potentially slowing down, not necessarily static, as you mentioned, but you know, maybe not seeing as high growth as as previously due to you know market factors and an economy and things like that. So it's, I mean, it's interesting to see brands thinking about that that shift and and expanding globally. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about what does that look like for for a brand or e-commerce company you know we're, we're doing e-commerce say you know primarily in the united states where i'm at here and now we're looking to see like okay how do we maybe now expand and try and find a, a market fit for us in in the european market like how how does that kind of look and, and what does that journey kind of entail well if you take what's now considered well this is new this is new trade but traditional e-commerce i'm talking about mean gravy american sellers who are on amazon maybe walmart maybe shopify site yeah say so they consider themselves to be omni-channel but they're on the three core places that people sell in the united states for those sellers if they're you know if they're, if they're turning over a few million bucks a year you know it doesn't have to be a huge amount of money uh, anywhere up to a couple of hundred million for some successful e-commerce sellers and hey look there's plenty of sellers like that on Amazon all right the way across the United States. Mm -hmm. They might go into a period that maybe they'll be uh, invited by Amazon by their account manager from Amazon. That's how we were referred a lot. Uh, we have a partnership with Amazon who refer as partners and say, right, 
this business is ready to expand. We'd like to see their trade in, the, in Europe. Can you help them through that process? So that's where normally we meet for the first time. And then we'll go through a little bit of feasibility check to understand what was the scope of the issue here. And that's a software-driven piece. You know, sometimes those businesses have that software themselves. We'll look at what those SKUs look like in the European marketplace. And I'm primarily talking UK, Germany, and France are using here as a, a classic pathway, US to Europe. So we do a bit of visibility, and predominantly, if it's a product which is very successful in the US, predominantly, there's opportunity in Europe. There's half a billion people. There's more than there are Americans. Right. Yeah. And, you know, they're savvy e-commerce buyers. They're, you know, well-versed. They, they do their research. They're all interconnected there. You know, which are about Europeans here. Now, obviously, if you're selling gun racks for a pickup truck or spurs for cowboy boots or something truly American, <laughs> maybe that's going to be a bit trickier. Predominantly. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of get some traction. So we go through the feasibility stage, and then we go through a stage of compliance. Amazon's super hot on compliance, product compliance. So we have to check labels, and that normally consists of perhaps relabeling your products because your products might have their ingredients in imperial measurements rather than a metric. They might have a non-GS barcode. They might have some claims that are allowed in the United States and are not allowed in Europe. They might have some ingredients that are not allowed to so that, that, that kind of compliance piece. And obviously then there's tax compliance. You don't have to have an entity in Europe. You can keep your American entity, but you do need to be tax compliant. So you do need to have a, VAT, a tax number to claim your taxes in each country. So that's a few hundred bucks to get yourself sorted. And once you go through that period, it takes sort of anywhere between two and three months to get these tax numbers because you're dealing with government officials. Mm. You can then begin making your stock ready, shipping the logistics of shipping in. First time is a bit daunting. For many sellers, it's the first time they've shipped abroad. Maybe Mexico, maybe Canada, but, you know, those things aside. Yeah. Typically, we, we'd advise to make sure that a seller had traded in Canada on Amazon in Mexico because it's the easiest way of being an international seller. Mm. That gives you a bit of a gist. You know, it's a different currency. Yeah. Um, once the goods are shipped in, then they come into a 3PL, one here and one in, in Europe, houses in Amsterdam. Uh, and then you go about filling those connects to your Amazon account, which is set up here. Amazon normally do that for you if you're a good seller. Um, and off you go. You start optimizing your account. You're already good at that because you're already being successful. So those are the bits you're good at. Those are your core, your core good bits. Um, but then beyond that, Europe, what you need is you must have omni-channel. You're not just going to last on, on Amazon. Mm. So Amazon is predominantly... The, the market leader in the UK and in Germany, but it's not in other countries around Europe. So you might need to be on bold.com. You might be able to see this kind of stuff that you've never heard of before. So we have a very cool bit of integration software, which maps out all of those listings for you, converts those listings for you, and then manages your stock across all those marketplaces. So that's really the formula for, mm. for, you know, for trading. You have to some translations. You'll need to translate into different languages. You'll need to optimize those translations. But it would be two or three core languages that you'll need to translate to. And, and, and of course, you do need to think about with those translations. It's not just about sticking through Google or ChatGPT mm-hmm. and saying, can you pre-translate this into French or German? This has got to be optimized. You know, this, this is SEO. This needs savvy. This right. needs ads. needs long-tail keywords. It needs all the stuff you're good at, um, but just translated. So that's not necessarily daunting because typically we, t- we tend to get people to pick their Top ten best SKUs. Take your top ten. Let's go. Let's go top ten SKUs 
run this through Helium 10, narrow this down to five, ten core products mm. and get started on those and then add more additionally as you go on, you get some success and you get some payback. Interesting, interesting, and, and certainly a process there. But uh, I mean, it sounds like it's very feasible. But I, I'm curious on the compliance portion, right? So, say if you're you're trying to expand, I'm curious, like if you didn't have the correct labeling, or, or you had, like you mentioned in there, a claim that maybe is is not a claim that you can make in, in European market versus you know the United States market. What I mean, what could potentially happen? Like, what would be some of the the pitfalls there? around that if your compliance was not within regulation? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> compliance is one of those tricky pieces that you can run the gauntlet, like you can run the gauntlet at home. Mm. If you're an Amazon seller, then there's a few things that happen. Amazon do their own compliance checks and for products, or you, you know, maybe a competitor will call you out. And the first thing that will happen is that Amazon will suspend your listings. You might get a warning first, but typically that's suspended listings. So 20, 25% of the clients who come to us are in strife. They've got a problem because their listings have been suspended. And of course, that's hurting their rankings, their hard-earned rankings every day, yeah. every hour. Most organized businesses who come certainly from the States, less so from Asia, there's more of a tendency to suck it and see and just see what happens. Mm. But just certainly from them. From a North American perspective, there's a central American perspective. In fact, there's, there's, there's a good adherence to compliance. Tax compliance, well, that's a very different matter because, of course, if you're not compliant with tax, mm. then you've got the government after you. The government will come after you in your home country. So it'll come all the way back to the States to yeah. come after you. And they will go via your Amazon account. And Amazon takes this so seriously, mm. for whatever reason it chooses to, it's, lots of, it's, it's always in the press itself for its own taxes, but it's very clever with them. But Amazon chooses to take this very seriously. So it would even suspend your home listings on your foreign account, dealing with a client just today whose exact situation. Oh, wow. And it pays taxes on time. Amazon's now suspended his listings in the US and in Canada. Big problem. Mm. So it pays, you know, it's a few thousand bucks to get yourself sorted. But there's half a billion new buyers. And there's a lot of very unsaturated markets, which it may be, maybe at home, your home nation, which are much more saturated, much yeah. more competition. Somewhat less sophisticated, I would say, in terms of optimization, long-tail keywords, all of that kind of really high-end optimization side that some of these e-commerce success stories have been. That, that's the, you know, the key part. When it comes to products, mm. typically the things that we'll find can be over-labeled. You know, it's, a, it's about a label check. Yeah. Sometimes, small percentage of times, we deal with quite a lot of supplements and foods here uh, in the UK from the US. And there are some ingredients that are banned. There's a really strange ingredient, colouring, that's used in Gatorade in the US. I think oh, it's really? the blue one, or maybe the bright orange one. Mm. The bright orange Gatorade. People drink all this after they've been to the gym and whatnot. Yeah. And that's, that's illegal in, in the whole of Europe. You can't use that particular colour. Oh, wow. It's just a, it's an E number. We get that infrequently, and that's why you have to have your compliance well dialed in at the beginning. Mm. But, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks to get a label check done, and then you can over-label with the things that you need, redesign, or you can get your products. You know, the batch of products come to Europe very often. Sellers will just do a batch from their manufacturer, and they'll have that with, you know, German, you know, different languages on, and they'll have a skew for that in Europe. It just depends on the numbers. Some, some people start off over-labeling, 
and then they'll follow up stop later. So the, the compliance piece is one of those things. It's a bit like being an, an airline hostess. It's a load of skill and cost that you hope you're never going to use, and you hope it's just <laughs> going to be moving boxes around for you. But in there, in there, they know how to, you know, what to do if the plane crashes. You know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's very interesting. I mean, you, it's interesting that, you know, Amazon will come back to the, the home country, like you said, and, and, you know, shut that down too as well. I mean, that kind of underlines, you know, the importance of being compliant and, and doing those things that are, are necessary depending on the, the market that you're going into. I, I'm curious is, um, you know, from an e-commerce perspective in, in the States here, like, you know, speed of delivery is a, is a big deal, you know, with Amazon here is uh, doing a lot of like overnight or same day delivery types of things. I mean, how, how does the European e-commerce consumer, I mean, what, what are their expectations around delivery? Are they like expecting fast delivery too as well, or is that not as much of a concern? We'll be back after a quick break. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. No, I mean, the European market is very similar in terms. I mean, Mm. people want Prime next day and they get next day delivery. That's why Amazon's got fulfillment houses right the way across Europe. Mm. For Shopify, two to three days will get you something right the way across across Europe. So you could order from a Shopify site in Denmark, and it will be delivered to southern Spain in two to three days. Mm. And your businesses like UPS right the way across Europe, you're very very quick. From Amazon, from Amazon, you can be seller fulfilled, or you can be uh, FBA mm-hmm. uh, on next day delivery, same day delivery in some places in more urban areas. Ostensibly, those things are the same, and you know, Europeans is the same. You know? If you want something super cheap, you get it from Alibaba or from Simu. If you want something very fast, you get it from Amazon. Or you have to go to a store. You know, there's no difference in that side of things. So, mm. things coming the next day are you know are the same as you'd expect. You know, mm. next day delivery, one hour delivery, those types of things that are coming through. Use um, you know Uber and Deliveroo. That, that that infrastructure exists in in not all, but you know most of the developed countries around Europe as well, of course. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious about that. If there was any, any differences, but it sounds very similar. So, I mean, from that perspective too, as you, you know, you worry about getting your, your product set up and the, the compliance and, and all those things. And now I mentioned there you're, you're shipping internationally potentially for the, the first time. So for a brand e-commerce owner, you know, what, what expectations should they have around shipping internationally? How should they maybe adjust their, their thinking and their, their planning a little bit around that? Or like what what types of things should they take into consideration there? If we start out that we've got through the compliance stage and we're very happy with the fact that we're products compliant. Mm-hmm. And the, the key biggest difference that you'll get in in US and in Europe is because is that you've got to put your stock in two different locations. Mm-hmm. Because the UK and Europe 
and now to different places. It's still there on the map, yeah. but this is a bit like California saying it doesn't want to be in the United States anymore. We made a bit of a mess. We left. Yeah. So you now have to have some stock in the UK, and we have to have some stock in Europe. Mm. And we would always recommend that you have stock in a 3PL because then you can go on the channel without the prohibitive costs of going on the channel and using FBA warehouses. Uh, the other big thing there is that you've got to consider you, you're you going to be shipping goods into Amazon, perhaps with an index number, a maximum amount of stock that's available within the Amazon infrastructure. But you might want to hold more than that because you might want to bring in a container load or you might want to maximize your shipping uh, optimization costs. Mm-hmm. So typically, a seller will bring in a container of goods, you know, those cost cues that they had right from the beginning. And some will go into 3PL, some will ship into FBA warehouses, some will stay for self-fulfilled prime. And the rest of it will be off their Shopify store. They'll be selling on eBay, they'll be selling on Cedis, they'll be selling on Frugo, wherever that you know they, they, they um, can get the listings uh, in various different places. It's all the same stock, it's all the same listings, it's just optimized with one piece of software that, that, that transfers it across. When it comes to the shipping, typically, as long as you've got good visibility coming into your 3PL, and your paperwork's in order. You just need a good shipping partner to do that. Your first shipment's probably the most hair-raising because, you know, it's the first time stress-testing tax numbers and commodity codes and stuff like that. But then after that, things are relatively, you know, relatively easy. Most most sellers will ship directly from China if that's where their goods come from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, goods that come, you know, from China that might come into Los Angeles, for instance. Well, a few years ago, the... Los Angeles was all clogged up. Strikes yeah. was faster than you could into Europe than it was even across the Pacific. So if your goods are coming from anywhere else in the world, you know, it might just be just as cheap to ship your goods directly into Europe, Amsterdam, or into uh, Southampton, the other two ports that we use the most. So container shipping is okay. If you're just going to ship into FBA, you can send air freight. Air freight. So you've got a balance there. Do you want 40, 48 hours and the highest cost, or do you want, you know, 50 days, uh, but mm. the cheapest cost. So you saw down to your units. You might do a mixture of both. You might send some stuff, but you don't want to stock out. So you flash some stuff in by air freight so you don't lose those listings. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. I mean, in terms of like the transportation mode, I mean, it, you know, if you're sending stuff over, it sounds like you're, you're recommending, you know, sending like a little bit potentially through through air freight and then the rest through uh, traditional, which can be a longer lead time to consider as well. So very interesting stuff. And, and from a, a 3PL perspective in Europe, I mean, is there anything, any differences, any like nuances about European 3PLs that sellers should be aware of versus maybe like a 3PL they might utilize in the, the United States? On the whole, no, mm-hmm. not really. There's some big differences in terms of, because there's much more of an omnichannel option, there's a bit, much bigger variances in the way that stock might be prepared. Mm-hmm. So you might have some B2B stuff going into FBA on pallets. You might have some cases going to some mortar stores. Then you also then might have you know a dozen other marketplaces that you're selling off as well as your own website. So that means that preparation would be good. So you know some stuff in high bay, some pick faces further down. Mm-hmm. You know replenishing from B two B stock it gets a bit more complicated. Lots of places in the states are doing that as well. You've got multi currency of course, mm-hmm. so you might be selling different currencies. You might be getting your income in one currency. You need to manage that currency wallet. But you know these things are relatively small. 
you know, in, in terms of the differences. So, no, ostensibly, there's 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 not that much difference. You, you've got a different, you know, different, a different Amazon account, therefore a different uh, central that you're logging into. But the the, the fundamental mechanics of of those your Shopify backend or mm-hmm. those mechanical pieces are going to be the same. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious about that. And I'm wondering if there's any, any differences there, but it sounds like it is pretty, pretty similar. And, you know, I think it, it really interesting how, you know, we're able to kind of almost shrink, shrink the globe in a sense a little bit with all the, the technology and different resources, like what you guys are putting out there to be able to, to do these different things and, and expand into other markets and expand internationally and globally. So it's been very interesting to, to talk to you here and, and learn more about kind of the e-commerce expansion globally and, and how brands and, and sellers can be able to, to do that and how they can leverage resources like global e-commerce experts to do that as well. So very interesting talking to you here ricky and and learning more about this um if people are interested to learn more about uh global e-commerce and global e-commerce experts what's the best way to do that well if you're an amazon seller then you can find us very easily on spn and if you want to you're outside of that network and you're an e-commerce seller you should be able to google us easy enough global e-commerce experts.com and you should be able to find you know all the different services that we can do we're, we're an end-to-end service, so we can do the whole thing from start to finish, or you can just dip in and do some of it yourself and use us for some of the other pieces. We also, there's also a lot of online content to help guide sellers through what that looks like on a YouTube channel. Again, search for Global e-commerce Experts. All right, great. And we'll definitely put all that information at thenewwarehouse.com as well so people can easily find it. So, Ricky, thank you once again for coming on the show today and talking to us all about Global e-commerce Experts. You've been listening to the New Warehouse Podcast with Kevin Lawton. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from the New Warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for the New Warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.